Psalm 119 tonight, we're going to begin in verse 49, and we'll read down through verse number 56. And so when you reach the passage there, if you're able to stand, I'll invite you to do that as we read the Word of God together. If you're not able to, that's fine, you can remain seated. And uh, let's begin reading here in verse number 49 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says here, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy way, or thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. You can be seated. In this chapter, the psalmist, and I've mentioned before that many scholars believe that David probably wrote this psalm, and, and I would tend to probably agree with them, but the psalmist is, is really expressing throughout this chapter, this long chapter uh, in the Bible, he's expressing his love for God's word, and and his love for uh, how the Word of God has affected his uh, heart and his life. But he's also, throughout the book, revealing some realities about himself and things that he faces as he lives in this world. And sometimes I think it's important for us to remember that uh, there is not uh, a difference between you know, our life here in church and our life out in the real world, this is the real world. As we walk with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord, we also recognize that we face the realities that many of the people around us face. We go through things, trials and difficulties, just as others do. And really, our relationship to God uh, matters not only in a religious sense, separate from uh, the, the realities of life, but actually... In real life, with all of our difficulties, trials, and troubles, our relationship to God and to His Word matter. And that's kind of what we see happening here as, as, as the, the psalmist is talking about. Uh, and we've, we've even mentioned, he, he said in a previous uh, portion, he said that princes did sit and speak against me. In other words, they're looking for opportunities to, to bring me down. I've got enemies that are trying to attack me and I need your help, Lord. Well, here in this section of the psalm, uh, he, he writes from a place uh, uh, where he's in a condition of affliction. I want you to notice his condition. Look at verse number 50. He, he's speaking of the word of God, and he says, This is my comfort in my affliction. Verse number 51, he says, The proud have had me greatly in derision. So here's a man who's delighting himself in the word of God. He's doing his best to be obedient to God and his will. And he finds himself facing affliction. Now affliction is really not, when you think of the word affliction, you don't probably come up with a lot of positive connotations, you know. Affliction is, is, is pain. 
Affliction is trouble. Uh, affliction is problem that, that comes into our lives. Problems that come into our lives. And, and so many people, I think, have this idea in their mind that if I'm just right with God and doing what he wants me to do, that trouble's never going to come. And so affliction then must always be the chastening hand of the Lord or the punishment of God. But that's not necessarily true at all. If you love God and you're trying to obey him, you're going to face some affliction. Just like you would if you weren't, honestly. This world is a world filled with trouble. And the lost of the world that don't know the Lord, they've got problems. And the saved that do know the Lord, we have problems and we've mentioned even tonight people with health problems and, and, and pains and ongoing diseases and, and those who are even on their deathbed, those who are losing loved ones. And, and we've talked about these things, unspoken requests, which I believe so often the, the requests that are unspoken, they're, they're many times the ones that weigh more heavily on us. And we carry burdens in this life. You know, Jesus said... In John chapter 16, speaking to his disciples, he said, In the world ye shall have tribulation. You know what tribulation means? It means trouble. That's what the word means, trouble. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You can know and expect. It doesn't matter if you're right with God or not. You will still have affliction. You'll still have trouble. But at the end of that verse, he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I'm thankful that we have hope even in our affliction. David spoke of his comfort in affliction. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he, he spoke of this affliction. And then he said in verse number 51, the proud have had me greatly in derision. The word derision, it, it has this idea of not only am I in a place of affliction... ...and trouble, but I am in a, in a place where people are mocking me because of that affliction. In other words, here I am trying to serve God and do right... ...and problems come into my life... ...and then other people are looking at those problems... ...and they're seeing that as a reason to rejoice. Hold your place here and go back to Psalm 42, if you would. Psalm 42... And notice in verse number 10, well, let's back up to verse number 9. He says, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I, uh, why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? So here am I, here I find myself in this time of trouble, this time of difficulty. And as if that wasn't hard enough in itself, my enemies, they're looking at me and saying, well, where's your God anyway? You know, where is the one who's supposed to be helping you? I, I, I thought God was going to deliver you. You know, there are scorners in the world that mock our faith. They mock the word of God. They mock the God that we worship. And whenever problems and trials come into our lives, there are those out there who kind of roll their eyes and say, well, where's your God? I thought, you know, I thought you had this great God that could answer any prayer, that could deliver you from anything. You know, people said the same thing about Jesus, right? I mean, it, come down off that cross. 
right? Uh, you, you trusted in God. Is he going to deliver you? Now here's the thing with Jesus. Think about this. Jesus hung on the cross because of the will of the Father. It was the, it was the will of the Father for him to die in our place. Have you ever stopped to think that it's possible that even in your affliction it may be the will of God for you to be going through some trial and difficulty? I know that that's not necessarily something you hear preached a lot of places, but the truth is that sometimes God does lead us through some valleys and leads us through some suffering in this life. Why does he do that? Well, Job understood some things about that, didn't he? And he said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God's working on me to purge out and to cleanse some things out of my life. Just like you would purify gold in a furnace, God's doing that in my life. And though it may be painful, God is using it to make me what he wants me to be. And so here the, the, the psalmist in, in Psalm 119 is talking about this affliction and being in derision. There are people that are even mocking him because of this and and here's the thing it's one thing to know that God's in control that God has a purpose <clears throat> but it's another thing entirely when you're facing these difficulties to keep that in your remembrance to keep that attitude of you know what I'm going to trust God anyway I, I know this to be true, but all of the things that are happening in my life make me feel this way, and so frequently there's conflict between what I know to be true and what I feel. And so the psalmist here is talking about this, the, the, the struggle that he's having because of his affliction, because of his derision that he finds himself in. And then he even says in verse number 53... And this is pretty strong language. Horror hath taken hold upon me. Why? Because of the wicked that forsake thy law. You know, for, for someone who loves the word of God, who loves the Lord, there maybe is no better word to describe the discouragement and, and just how disheartening it is to watch the world reject God and his word, there may not be a better word than horror. It is a horrific thing to watch people forsaking God and his word. It's tragic. It is a tragedy, folks. Look at the world around you and you see these people that so clearly fit the description in Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Who, who, who they, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. They, they, they knew God, but they glorified him not as God. And boy, do we see that happening all around us. And it's a tragic thing, and it's a discouraging thing. And as someone who tries to do right, and, and, and folks, I'm the type of person, I, I pretty much try to let things kind of roll off my back, you know, just keep my head down and, and do what I know is right. But it can be very discouraging when I look around and I see not only people forsaking God and forsaking his word and mocking those who would uh, dare to believe God and stand on his word, but those who actually are actively opposing and attacking the right, 
the truth. That's a discouraging thing. It can be an overwhelming thing. The psalmist here describes it as a horror. Horror hath taken hold upon me. I love when we read in the book of Ezekiel about God's call in his life. There's something really interesting that God has him do. He, he takes this scroll. It's a, a, a prophecies that are written front and back on it. Essentially, I believe it's what would become the book of Ezekiel. And, and he's told that he's to eat this, this scroll. And do you remember how he describes it? He said that when he ate it, it was in his mouth sweet as honey. But in his, in his belly, it was bitter as wormwood. It, it, was, it, it upset his stomach. It tasted good, but it didn't sit well with him. And then you go over to the book of Revelation and you find that the same thing happens to the Apostle John. He's told to take a book and eat it. And in his mouth, it's sweet as honey. But when he, when he digests it, it's, it causes bitterness. It causes trouble. Now, it seems like such an odd thing. But you know, even Jeremiah said, speaking to the Lord, he said, Thy word was in me as a burning fire shut up in my bones. You know, that doesn't sound like a very pleasant thing. <laughs> I've had heartburn before, and that's like a burning fire right here in my chest. But think about it in your bones. <laughs> that doesn't sound very pleasant. But in all three of those cases, here's the, here's the understanding I get from that. These were prophets of God, people that the Lord had given to them a message that they were to take to the world or to a specific group of people. And here's what happens as a preacher of the word of God. Pastor Smith, maybe you can testify to this. When you get away from the world and you get into the word of God and you start studying it and taking it in, you know what you find? This is sweet and precious and wonderful. David said in Psalm 19, it's sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It's a wonderful wonderful book and you can delight yourself in it but as you fill yourself with the word of God and God's truth you begin to understand God's plan and his purpose and his character and his nature his expectation for mankind and then you begin to look at the world around you and even as you begin to look at Christians around you and quite honestly, as you begin to look even in your own life, and you find how distant so, so many times we are from God's word and God's truth, there is a bitterness that comes as a result of that. There's a, a stirring. There, there's almost a passion there. I believe that God was giving those men passion to preach the word of God because they loved God's word, but as they took it in and they observed the world around them, there was a, a bitterness that took hold on them as they saw a disconnect between God's word and what was happening around them. And it stirred them to such a degree they could do nothing but proclaim it. David said, or the psalmist here said, Horror hath taken hold upon me. Because of the wicked that forsake thy law, I'm seeing what people are doing. I'm seeing how they trample the word of God underfoot. And it, it creates this sense of despair within me. 
Yet, in the midst of all of that, he's seeking to remain faithful to God and his word, just to do what he knows is right. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 51 again. It says, The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. The word decline means to, to go back or to go out of the way. Even though all these things are happening, Lord, I am remaining true to your word. Did you know that that's actually one of the greatest proofs of a true, genuine follower of Christ is someone who remains faithful to the word of God regardless of the circumstances that come into his life? There are a lot of people that can... Uh, you know, they, they can play the part of a Christian for a while, for a time. But when difficulty comes into their life, when tragedy comes into their life, when some opposition comes into their life, they turn and run the other way. Jesus spoke of those that were like the stony ground. When the seed, the word of God, fell on them, uh, that's exactly what happened in in uh, Matthew chapter number 13, verse number 20, it said, But he that, he, he that receives seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended." And folks, you've seen them and I've seen them like that. Someone comes along and, and they make a profession of faith and you think, well, praise the Lord, they got saved. And for a while you see things starting to change in their life, at least on the surface they are. And then something happens, something comes into their life and all of a sudden they're gone and they just, they just leave. Now, whether or not that person is genuinely saved, I don't know. God does. He knows their heart. But here's the thing, there is a mark of a genuine believer in Christ. And that is that he endures. That doesn't mean that you're always perfect, that you'll never sin. But here's what it does mean. If you are a child of God, and you're trying to follow after the Lord, even in the midst of affliction and persecution and all these different things, you'll still continue in the Lord. 1 John speaks of those that says they went out from us for they were not of us. For had they been of us, they no doubt they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Not everyone who says they're a Christian really is. And God knows all those who are his. And, and those who are his, those who are saved, will be eternally kept by the power of God. Praise the Lord for that. But the way that we are told that we can know those who are true believers in Christ or false is by their fruits. And the fruit of those who are born-again Christians is that they endure, they remain, they stick around, even when the going gets tough. And that's what you see happening with this, with this psalmist. He says, all this is happening, yet have I not declined from thy law. Lord, I'm still seeking to be true to you. And, and you almost get this sense here that he's saying, listen, Lord, I, 
I don't really understand why I'm going through affliction. I don't understand why I'm in this place of derision, why these problems are coming on me, because I'm trying to do what is right. And when you read the book of Job, Job pleads with the Lord over and over, Lord, what, basically, what have I done? I'm, I'm tr trying to do right. I, I'm a just man. I fear you. I eschew evil. What did I do to deserve this? I, I, you kind of get the sense that the, the psalmist is saying that here. Lord, I'm trying to do what's right, but I find myself in a place of difficulty and trouble. That's his condition. But I want you to notice his comfort. Look what he says in verse number 50. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction. What is he talking about? Back up to the previous verse. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Lord, my confidence, my hope is in your word, and in my affliction, that is where my comfort comes from. It comes from the word of God. In my trouble, I find hope in your word. Verse number 52, he says, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Verse 54, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. Lord, I, I am comforting myself in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of my problems. I am finding my hope in your word. I'm finding my confidence in your word. All these things are happening to me. And, and, and if I'm not careful, they'll even begin to influence the way that I think. Have you ever found that circumstances have a tendency to... Uh, bad circumstances have a tendency to steal away hope from your life? To make you feel hopeless. It's this attack, this constant attack that we find ourselves under from the enemy to take away our hope. But if we will allow the word of God to permeate our minds and our hearts and to fill us, you know what it does? It corrects our thinking. It reminds us that regardless of the circumstances, there is hope. It reminds us that God has given to us exceeding great and precious promises and, and, and we're able to find comfort in these things. I love what he says in verse number 54. He says, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. You say, what is the house of my pilgrimage? Well, the Old Testament often refers to pilgrimage as this life that we're living in. Uh, you'll, you'll find, for instance, someone mention, and they'll say, mentioning the, the length of their life, the days of his pilgrimage were. You know, that really is a pretty good description because that's what we are here in this earth as God's people. We're strangers and foreigners. We're pilgrims here. And the life that we live on this earth is a pilgrimage to home. We're just, we're just passing through on our way home. And God's put us here in this place as pilgrims and strangers and here the psalmist says thy statutes the word of God it, it's been my song they've been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage do you know that the bible actually tells us that we ought to sing the scriptures 
It does. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 tell us that we're to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You ought to be meditating on the Word of God, thinking on the truth of, of God and His Word, and even maybe throughout the day find yourself singing His truth, reminding yourself of His goodness. He says, my, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Verse number 55, I have remembered Thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept Thy law. Whenever you're reading about something happening in the night. That's generally a reference to that time of your life where you're most susceptible to discouragement and fear. Have you ever laid awake at night fearful and discouraged? Boy, I have. When all the noise is gone and everyone else in the house is asleep and, and I can't sleep because something is consuming my mind. And in the night, my mind runs through all the scenarios of all the worst case scenarios that could happen. And I become fearful and worried and overwhelmed. But here's what the psalmist said, I have remembered thy name in the night. I, I, I call to remembrance the truth, the promises of your word. That's where I found comfort. I have replaced meditation on the circumstances with meditation on your word and I found hope and I found comfort and I found peace in you. He found comfort in God's word. And so his condition was serious but he found comfort in God's word. But then I want to just back up to the very first verse that we looked at and I want you to notice his concern. Because really this is a prayer to the Lord about his circumstance. And the prayer starts off like this, verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Remember the word. In other words, Lord, I'm trusting in all the promises that you've given to me. In the midst of my problems, I, I, I've stayed true to your word, I, I'm obeying your word, and I'm finding comfort and I'm finding hope in your word. But I need you to do something for me. <laughs> I need you to remember what you told me. I need you to fulfill your promises. I, I need you to come through, Lord. Now that might seem like a strange thing, because theologically we know that God cannot lie, therefore if he's promised to do something, he will do it. There, it's a, it would be impossible for, for any other outcome. God has to fulfill his word. So why even pray that? I, I think that this is a, a prayer of, of where the, the psalmist here is, is expressing to the Lord his absolute dependence on God fulfilling his word. In other words, and I mentioned it during our, our prayer time the psalmist is saying, God, if you don't come through, if you don't fulfill your word, if, if for some reason I have been mistaken and the word of God is not 100% reliable, then I have nothing else to cling to. We had a conversation in our house the other day, one of the the boys uh, asked a question. I think it was a really good question. Something about if, if, 
If the Bible wasn't inspired by God, would it still be, and this is kind of a paraphrase, would it still be a valuable book for us to live by, essentially? And we talked about the fact that in, in reality, anyone who puts into practice the principles found in the Word of God is going to find it, it benefits your life. I mean, God's laws are just better than man's laws. They just work better. Live by the Word of God. You're going to have a better life than if you don't. However, there is a sense in which if God's Word is not inspired, if God's Word is not true, this is all worthless. Paul spoke of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and he said if there's no resurrection of the dead, if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. If this isn't true, folks, I've got a big problem because I've staked my life on this. I've, I've put my faith and my confidence in this and I'm clinging to Christ as my only hope and I'm clinging to His Word as that, uh, that inspired Word of God that gives me understanding of Him. And, and if this isn't true, then no. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not like I'm going to get to the end of my life and if it all turns out to be a big hoax, I'm going to go, eh, ah, well, my life was better off anyway. That, folks, no. I have staked my life on this book and I need God to come through on His Word. And you do too. And by the way, He will. He always does. We, in that discussion, one of the things that we mentioned and, and discussed was a, kind of an illustration if you're stranded on an island, you're the only one there, and, and you're, you're praying for God to deliver you, and one day this boat washes up to shore, and it's got a, a, a nice cabin on it, and it's got a motor and all the fuel you would need to get to some place of civilization, and you took that boat, and you pulled it up on the shore, and you said, boy, this is going to be a real nice place to live here on this island. <laughs> Did the boat help you? Well, in some ways, it kind of did, right? It gave you a little bit better life there on the island, but it certainly didn't fulfill what you needed it to do and what it could have done in carrying you away to safety. And that's true of the Word of God. If you look at it and you say, well, you know, my life will be better if I just live by the principles. Yeah, your life here on this earth might be a little bit better, but friend, listen, this life is so short. And eternity is forever and ever and ever. And I really could care less about living a good life here if it doesn't result in knowing I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior over there. You know what I mean? This life is a dressing room for eternity. And I don't want to live my best life now. I want to give my life to Christ here Live it out for him and for his glory because I know there's a better day coming on the other side. That's where my hope is found. And so the psalmist here is saying, Lord, remember your word. I need it. I'm trusting it. I need you to come through for me. And really what he's, he's doing here is he's really calling to mind 
the, to, to the Lord's attention, hey, you've made these promises, please fulfill them. You know, I think it is a good thing and a right thing to even in our prayer life talk to the Lord and remind him of his word and his promises. It, it is. You know, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the Lord extends an invitation. He says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. I think God wants us to reason with him. Uh, Lord, uh, you've made some promises to me. You've made some commitments to me, and, and I need you to fulfill these things. I'm trusting. I'm confident that you will. We, we, uh, Sunday night, I was preaching out of Exodus 33, but I want to read to you a few verses in Exodus 33. It says in verse number 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people... And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Verse 15, he says, And, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? So what is he saying? He's saying, God, you've made some promises to me. You've told me that, that you're with me. You've told me that you're going to help me. And I really need you, Lord. I need your presence because if I don't have your presence, what, what makes me any different than anyone else in the world? What distinguishes us as your people from the rest of the world if it's not your presence with us? And here you really have Moses, I think, very humbly yet very boldly saying to God, I need you to do this based upon your previous promises to me. I think we ought to be able to pray to the Lord with some confidence and some humility. Don't get me wrong. We don't ever come before the Lord with this attitude of, I know better than you do. But I think humbly we can come to the Lord and say, Lord, you've brought me to where I am. And, and I'm trying to follow your will and do what's right, but I need you to do some things for me. I, I was praying even earlier today, Lord, I... You've given me the privilege of preaching your word. And you've called me to it. And I want to do it. I want to do it right. I want to do it well. But God, if you want me to preach your word, I need you. I need your help. You, you've put me in this place. But I need you to fulfill your promise and help me out here because I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. I need you. And wherever you are in life, whatever God's called you to, I think you ought to be able to pray, God, you've made me a husband and you've called me to lead my wife and my children, my household in your ways. But God, I can't do that without you. I need you, Lord. So fulfill your promise. Remember your word to me. You've put me in this place. Lord, you've entrusted me with children. And you've told me to raise them for your glory. But I need you to remember your word to me. That, that, that you would help me and enable me to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Whatever the case might be, wherever you find yourself, I think you ought to be able, like, like the psalmist here, like Moses, 
to reason with the Lord and claim the promises that he's given to you. His concern was, God, I'm trusting in your word, but I need you to fulfill it. I need you to do what you've promised to do and help me because I find myself in a very difficult situation trying to do what you want me to do, but I need you to remember your word which you've, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. 